Okay, guess what? Let's turn to Colossians. Can we do that? Turn to Colossians. Um, first item on my agenda here. How many of you read Colossians at least one time this last week? Hey, good job. How many of you, and this is not to brag or boast, this is where we're at, where we're at, but, but how many of you read through the whole book every day this week? All right, good job. Okay. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hands, need to do try harder this next week? Okay, all right. Thank you for your honesty. I didn't ask for hands. You gave them to me. But uh, Okay, so let, let's persist, right? We, we don't get better at understanding the Bible, which means we don't come closer to God and His Son with a closed Bible. Uh, we have to get in it. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a short book. It's easy. So I, I think I've set the, the, the entry bar. It's track and field season, right? I, I've sent the, uh, set the, the entry bar low, right? This is a freshman, sophomore height we're trying to get over to just read through the book uh, one time every week. And, and if you want to go to the varsity team, then you can try the, uh, the, book, the whole book every day. But we're not going to get there if we don't read it, okay? So let me start the PowerPoint here. While you're uh, thinking about that, and uh, we'll get going. Good job for those of you that, that made an effort there. I appreciate that. Uh, let's look at our section today, and uh, maybe we'll review just a, a little bit before we... Um, uh, Where's is Drew here? Let me do this. He, he has a magic button to make that easier to see. So does anybody know how to make that happen? Melissa, do you know how to make that happen? Okay, thank you. So while she's working on that, uh, let's review a little bit. The, the title of the study is Christ is First, and, and that's, not, uh, that's not my title. That, that really is what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to us, that Jesus is best, and he ought to have first place in everything. That, that's what, the chap- what it says in, in chapter 1. And... Um, just some background, uh, if you weren't here last week to hear this, uh, Paul is the author, as we'll see again this morning, accompanied by Timothy. He's writing about 58, 63 AD, somewhere in that range. So this is uh, getting, uh, getting toward the end of his ministry. This is one of the, what we call the prison epistles. And uh, what is an epistle? What is that? It's like a missile? No. What is it? It's a letter, right? It's just a fancy word for letter. It's a, so if it's called a prison letter, what does that probably mean? He, he was writing from prison in Rome, uh, and that's not like, you know, the Hood County Jail or, you know, the state penitentiary, something like that. It was a house arrest, so he had some freedoms. He, he, he was able to see visitors. He was able to, you know, get things. And you remember one of the times he says, you know, bring the scrolls, bring my coat. Uh, but, um, but he was still confined. Uh, awaiting uh, his trial and appeal before uh, Caesar. And uh, he's writing here to the believers of the Colossian church. Now, uh, did Paul start the Colossian church? No, he didn't. Who started it? Epaphras. Good. Some of you were paying attention last week. That's good. We're going to read about Epaphras again in a moment, so remember that. Okay, Epaphras is the guy who starts the church. He probably was from Colossae, and um, and so we'll see that in a minute. So Paul didn't start the church. Uh, when did Paul visit Colossians? The, the Church of Colossians. He never did. So this is this uh, this little tiny church. Remember, back in the days of the Persian Empire, Colossae was was a vast city. It sat right on a major trade route. Well, subsequent to that, they rerouted the road, 
And so now all that traffic, all that, all that commerce, all that attention was being diverted around the city of Colossae to other cities. So it kind of shrunk in size. And, and getting a letter from the apostle Paul when you're this podunk church in Asia Minor probably was a really significant thing. And uh, so if we put ourselves in their sandals for a minute and go, man, this would have been really cool to get a personal letter from the Apostle Paul uh, about this. And, and that probably communicated, not that that was just on a special occasion, but if Paul is picking up his pen to write to us, there's probably something pretty important he wants us to hear about. And that was that heresy that was going on. And I think that that's part of the urgency and the seriousness of the letter. Uh, what's the occasion? Uh, Epaphras, okay, has come to Paul and reported, hey, the church is great, the people are great, but there's heresy coming in, and I'm worried, Paul. So Paul writes to the church to warn them about the heresy. And uh, the three things he's really going to tell them, if, if you want a, a thematic outline, just, just if you missed this last time, give Christ first place in everything. You gotta put Jesus first. That's what Christianity is about, is putting Jesus first. Number two, hold fast your faith. Don't be deceived or distracted by heresy. They had a pre-Gnostic heresy, right? Super secret knowledge. Uh, today in 21st century, Granbury, Texas, in the United States of America, we have modern day heresies. And we're gonna talk about some of those things. Uh, you don't, you don't think that when you're watching Netflix, with your family one night, and it's a pretty wholesome, clean show, that there isn't heresy being introduced. But, but remember, heresy is not like some big, scary, you know, satanic plot that's, you know, he's gonna jump out from behind the bushes and ruin your life. No, no, heresy comes to us guys when we start buying in to wrong ways of thinking about life. That's what heresy is. It's just a wrong way of thinking about life. And, and you can't watch a commercial for a Ford truck without being introduced to some sort of worldview that, that may or may not be off base in some way. So we have to constantly be on guard against heresy. And, and you know what? I, I'm thankful we, we've enjoyed a longevity in our church right here of, of unity and, and doctrinal purity and whatnot. But you know what? There's heresy in our church too. We always have to be on the lookout for that. We're all prone to it. I'm prone to it and you all are prone to it. And then finally, he's going to call us to grow in Christ by applying their faith in everyday life experiences. Um, the gospel and the faith that we have is not something we just, you know, take and put up on the shelf and say, hey, look, there's my faith. Faith is designed to be lived out in all area of life. What, what it means that Christ has first place is, is saying, how should Jesus affect my marriage or my finances? Or my hobbies, or how I interact with my coworkers, you know, things like that. So, so there's an application here, and that's what Paul's going to spend the last two chapters talking about in the book: is how do we apply our faith in Christ to everyday life experiences? Okay, so so that's where we're going. My name's Keith. I'll be your tour guide. Look at chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Remember, Paul is the master of the run-on sentence. Okay, that was one sentence. Uh, verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ in our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. There's the reference to Epaphras, okay? Now, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'll tell you what, that's a mouthful, but there is a world of help and encouragement in what he just wrote. And so what I want to do is just unpack that for you this morning. So um, that's some review on why we need Colossians. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So so the title of, of the section we're going to look at today is Prioritize Persistence in Proper Prayers. I'm sorry, the alliteration just happens sometimes. I don't try to do that. It just happens. Prioritize Persistence in Proper Prayers. What we're going to see at the beginning of this letter and actually at the end of the letter, it's, it's the bookends of the book of Colossians on the front and on the back, is a priority on prayer. And, and and think about that in the context of of the theme. It may be that even though you want Jesus to be first place, and you want him to be important, and you desire for him to, to affect in a positive way all of the areas of your life, it may be that the reason that's not happening is your life isn't saturated with the thing that brings that about, and that's prayer. We're not going to grow. We're not. We're not going to see Jesus in His glory for all all He is. If if uh, if Amazon uh, dominates our thinking more than the Bible, more more than prayer with Him. So so there's a prioritization of the persistence of prayer right on the front end here. And, of course, they have to be proper prayers, as you'll see here in a minute, okay? So so let's look, first of all, at some introductions. Some introductions. Paul, and, and according to this first verse, who is Paul? Just just look down at, at verse 1 and tell me, uh, let's, let's just play Commander Obvious here, okay? Who is Paul according to verse 1? He's an apostle, okay? What does that mean? Okay, sent one, right? Yeah, but the background of the word is one who sent, one who go. And, and, and in the context of we're talking about the, these, the small group of special men called the apostles, what does that mean? 
Okay, they've seen Christ. They're leaders or elders in the church that have seen Christ, okay, but post-resurrection. What else? Hmm, you see, we want to blow right over that word apostle, but let's, let's pull the car over and make sure we understand what that means. They had to see the risen Christ. They were leaders in the church. They were responsible to spread the gospel. Okay, they had a... And I'll go a step further. Chris is right. I'll go a step further. They had an authority in the early church to speak for God. And that's unique. Remember, there's no New Testament. There's no guiding document yet. That's, that needs to be written. And God is going to use the apostles largely to do that. So they are speaking for God about this new uh, this new Christianity, this new gospel that is just going into all the world. Okay, so and, and there's a third thing. What was the third thing about the apostle? They were leaders. They had to be. What's that? That's correct. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that God gave the apostles a special gift of working miracles. You say why? Because uh, you know we're gonna have a magic show? No, because those miracles authenticated the role of the apostle. That, that's part of what those sign gifts were designed to do, as we call them. Okay, uh, So you're right. The, the last element was Jesus had to call them personally. right? That They had to have a personal call from Christ. So guess what? There are people today running around, well-meaning people that think that they're apostles. Okay, They're, they're not apostles today. There are no more apostles today. They had to see the, the resurrected Christ. They had to be called by Jesus specifically. They had to be able to work those miracles as Uh, an authenticating work to show that their apostleship was real. So he's an apostle. He's a sent one. He's speaking for God. He's an apostle. Notice here, of Jesus Christ, right? That's the content, right? He's not, he's not just, you know, doing anything about anything, but, but he's a sent one. He's a leader. He speaks for God in behalf of Jesus Christ. And and that's why it says they're by the will of God, right? You you don't just wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to be an apostle today. You had to be called by God to do that. Uh, tell me about Timothy. Who's Timothy? It says, uh, and Timothy, our brother. Okay, so we know he's a brother in Christ. Uh, what else do we know about him? He's like Paul's adopted son. That's right. So he was younger than Paul. Uh, and and uh, remember, um, Paul mentored him for a season, like, like Brian is saying. Uh, where did Timothy end up? At Ephesus. What was his job at Ephesus? He was the head pastor, head elder. Remember, Paul went there for about three years, and then he left. And as he left, he left, he left Timothy there as, as the sort of, um, we would think of him as a, as a lead pastor amongst a group of elders, uh, elder pastors there. And, uh, and we, we learn a little bit about Timothy when we read the letters written to him by Paul, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. We learn a little bit about his background. Um, he had a godly mother and grandmother. Uh, his father was a Gentile. And uh, some other things there, but um, so we picture the, the the picture there is kind of interesting. Obviously, that's just an artist's rendering, but we can picture Paul and, and Timothy sitting there writing out the scroll to send uh, back to Colossae. Right. Uh, and notice in uh, verse two, speaking of Colossae, they're writing here. It says they're to the saints and faithful brethren of Christ in Christ who are at Colossae. Um, you need to get this, especially if you have a traditional church background. What does the word saint mean? Does anybody know? It, it's, it's, a, it's another word for a believer in Christ. And maybe, I, I grew up in a church tradition that a saint was like a super Christian. Right? I mean, these are like the, the Navy SEALs for Jesus, right? That's, that's not a saint. Right? They're not Navy SEALs. A saint 
is literally translated, and part of it is, is it's, it's translated traditionally, it, it's, it comes from the same root word for sanctification or sanctify. It just means a holy one, one who's been plucked out of the world and become a part of God's family. Well, well guess what? That, that's all believers, isn't it? So not super Christian, not Navy SEALs, it's, it's just a saint, a believer, a Christian. Uh, and, and, and notice the description here, faithful brethren in Christ Jesus. As we're going to see here, these folks had a reputation. They're a new church, they're, they're a brand new church, but they have a reputation for faithfulness to the gospel. And I think that, that may be why Paul is so motivated to write to them, because he's like, I don't want to see their great testimony just fall apart with this uh, heretical teaching that's coming into the church. Okay, and we talked about where Colossae is. Uh, that, that's southwest, or, uh, yeah, southwest Turkey today. It was called Asia in the days of the first century. And uh, we talked a little bit more about that last time. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, that's Paul's um, typical greeting there as he uh, introduces this. Okay, now, now watch this. This is incredible. Verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Now, now look at this. What is, what did Paul and Timothy, quote unquote, always do? What did they do? Check their Twitter account to see how many, fo- no, wait, what did they do? They're praying always. Do, do you see Right out of the starting block, this book just lays down a challenge that says, what should our lives be like, right? They prayed always. Now, now, have you read the New Testament? Did, did Paul sit in his his prayer closet all day? You know, he just kind of honed up in his in his house, and he just kind of was there and having his quiet time, twenty four seven. Is that the Apostle Paul? No, good night, no. We saw last time, he's got these missionary journeys. He's always going somewhere. He's always laboring and writing letters and preaching and teaching and they throw him in prison. Then he gets out and this guy's life makes me tired. And what does he say in the midst of it all? What's he doing? He's always praying. Now, you know what that should tell us? Listen to me very closely. Busyness is never an excuse for prayerlessness, is it? Busyness is never an excuse for prayerlessness. It's possible to be busy for Jesus, to be busy doing the right things, and pray always. You say, how do we do that? Well, we're going to learn a little about that. But it's not an excuse. You know, you think, oh, my prayer life is going to be so much better when I'm retired. Hey, retired people, how's it going? What do you say? Is that true? You guys make me tired. (laughs) Uh, So it's not about busyness, is it? It's about learning to commune with God, listen, in the busyness of your life. And that's what Paul and Timothy are always doing. Notice this too. What motivated their thanks to God in prayers? Let's look at verses 4 to 8. He says, uh, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. So what motivated their thanks to God in prayers? Three things. Did you get it? What motivates them to pray for these folks? Say it nice and loud so I can hear you. Their faith. What else? Their love for others, right? And what else? The hope of the gospel, okay? There they are, right? Boom, boom, and boom. Faith, love, and hope. 
That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And now remain these three, what? Faith, hope, and love, right? It's, a, it's the same guy wrote that, so we're not surprised, right? So faith, love, and hope. Now, now think about this. Um, what motivates our prayer life? See, we're, we're, we're already convicted at the the pattern of prayer that we see here, the model for prayer that we see, that these guys are praying all the time in the midst of very, very busy uh, ministry-related lives. But it's also important to recognize what was motivating their prayer. Because I do this just like you do. We sit down, and I'm going to pray, and it's like, okay, what are we going to pray about today? And, and, and you know, we, we, we pray about our families. We pray about the latest crisis. We pray about our future. Uh, Don, Don Whitney has that that list in his book on spiritual disciplines that we tend to pray the same old things about the same old things, right? You know, and he gives these categories. But let let what Paul is saying here challenge what we're focusing on as a new motivation for prayer or or resetting the motivation for prayer. He he says, you, you know the reason we pray for you so much? Your faith is so impressive. This is this is little church, little no-name church, and the reputation of their faithfulness, their their eagerness for the gospel, their spreading of the word of God has reached. Where's Paul when he writes this? He's in Rome. He's in the mecca of the Roman Empire, right? And it's their faith that does that. Notice also what motivates him to pray is that he heard about their love, which you have. For all the saints. What did Jesus say? They're, they're going to know that you're my disciples because of what? Your love for one another. In fact, when Paul picks up his pen to write Timothy the first time, he reminds Timothy that the goal of our instruction, 1 Timothy chapter 1, is love from a pure heart and a sincere conscience and a good faith. And then also he, he is motivated to write because verse 5 tells us the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth. And, and, and when we're thinking about here, what, what's motivating prayer, really we're saying what's motivating their thanksgiving, right? Their thanksgiving in prayer for the Colossians, their faith, their love for other people, and, and their, the hope of the gospel. If, if you're struggling with thankfulness in prayer, those are some good categories to consider because uh, those are things that are uh, challenging and important and valuable uh, in the eyes of God, okay? So what motivates their thanks to God and their prayers, faith, love, and hope? Third question, what does the gospel do as it spreads? We're just going to kind of talk through this together here rather than me just tell you what it all means. So look at verse 6. What does the gospel do as it spreads? This is interesting. It bears fruit. What does that mean? When the Bible talks about fruit in the context of spiritual things, what does it have in mind? Church growth, okay, meaning it's bearing fruit in increasing Christians, like people are coming to faith in Christ, okay? What else? Yeah, sanctifying. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's they're, Ron's right. It's like the people are coming to Christ and they're being changed. Now, again, th- this is so insightful. When, when, when you're going throughout your day and you're trying to have a conversation with God and, and you're, you're engaging in prayerful conversation, um, 
this, this ought to motivate why we're praying. You know, we see the gospel spreading. We see people's lives changing. And, and, and this is a good reminder of what normal Christianity is. That, that um, Be suspicious of a Christianity that does not result in transformation. Because what Paul is reminding us here is that the gospel, as it spreads, it bears fruit. I mean, if, if you, you know this, right? Some of you do this. If, if you go out and you plant a little plant or a little tree or a little shrub and it's supposed to be a fruit bearing whatever and then uh season comes around no fruit okay maybe next year comes around no fruit comes around again next year no fruit what might you conclude about your tree it's dead or it's sick, right? There, there's something wrong. You don't go, oh yeah, this is normal. But we do that with Christianity all the time, don't we? Oh yeah, you know, he's just not really walking with Jesus right now. He's not. No, the gospel as it spreads bears fruit. People come to Christ. Those people are transformed. And, and look at this, verse six. He says that just as it uh, also is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you. Also, since the day you heard of it. So Paul's looking at these folks saying, since you came to Christ, I see fruit bearing, I see transformation in your life in an ongoing way. So that, that's a great thing to pray about, and it reminds us that Christian normality is a fruit bearing experience. Right? Okay. Yes. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if we if we press the analogy even further, that that fruit inhibits future planting, future growth, future propagation, right? Because and, and I think that works because uh, if you're sharing your faith with somebody, you're sharing the gospel, and they're like, well, you know, what ha- what's happened in your life? Not much. Well, how's the gospel helping your life? It doesn't really help my life. But you need to trust Jesus, right? I mean, if you're not bearing fruit, no one's going to listen to you, right? No one's going to take you seriously in uh, in your call to share the gospel. So I, I think you're right on there. Okay, uh, next question. Who is Epaphras? Verse 7. Here's where we learn a little bit, a little bit about him. Just as you learned it, and by context, what did the Colossians learn from Epaphras? They learned the gospel. So this is where we learn that Epaphras is probably the one who started this church as he shared the gospel and as people responded to it. And notice Paul here calls him our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. In fact, we're going to see just how faithful this man is as we go through the book. Okay, So put that in the back of your mind. Epaphras, faithful. Epaphras, faithful. And we'll learn how he was faithful as we go. We already know he was faithful in doing what? Sharing the gospel with people, right? And we're going to find out that uh, this man was faithful in other ways too, right? He's a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So remember, Epaphras starts the church, Epaphras shares the gospel, and then Epaphras is the one who brings the message to Paul about the Colossians and says, hey, these guys are great, they got a great reputation, they're faithful, they love each other, they're sharing the gospel, but we have an intruder alert, 
And Paul, I think you need to write to them and help them to deal with this intruder that's come in. Okay, and we'll, we'll see in a moment what that's all about. Okay, notice also what he... What, what, uh, what he shared with Paul was their love in the Spirit. So that's two times he's mentioned their love for one another being driven uh, by their faith or in that context by the Holy Spirit. Okay, what I want to do now is I want to look at what Paul's going to pray. Okay, so he's, he's said we pray all the time. Here's what's motivated our prayer. Here's why we're excited to pray. And now he's actually going to stop in his letter... And he's going to pray for the Colossians. And um, again, this this letter is saturated with an urgency for prayer. There's a there's a priority and a persistence that that just bleeds out of this letter uh, in terms of our praying. And I think as Paul prays we can learn a lot about prayer. So as I read this, I want you to be asking the question, what can we learn about prayer? Okay? So let's look at verse 9 now. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's, let's start right there. Again, what did they do constantly what's he say there in verse 9 not cease to pray i think that a lot of christians when they hear a verse like first thessalonians 5 pray without ceasing i think a lot of christians think that that's sort of a, a, a apostolic exaggeration okay paul we should pray no one expects us to pray all the time but you know what we've seen Paul is modeling what he's telling believers to do, isn't he? I don't think he's exaggerating here. I really think this was a man who, com- who, who learned the art of communing with God throughout the day. Can I just ask you, do you want to be that type of Christian? Where you can be driving your truck or practicing medicine, or typing a letter, or going to HEB, or working on your boat, or and, and just have a conversation with God. You're inviting, and that doesn't mean, you know, if, if, if Brian is doing some, you know, little surgery in the pediatric clinic that, that, you know, he's not paying attention to what he's doing on this poor child, you know, he's talking to, that's not what it means. What it means is, as he goes into that surgery, he's saying, Lord, help me. Guide me in this. I want to. Uh, I want to honor you by caring for my patient, right? Or, or and it's it's not just medicine, right? It's whatever you do. It's your schoolwork. It's your work. It's your family. It's your shopping. It's your entertainment. That that walking with God, praying continually, is about inviting God into every moment of your life and talking to Him about it and thanking Him for it. Um, you know, when when you're worried, stop worrying. Talk to Him about it. You know, when you're excited, uh, pause in your excitement and thank him for it. You know, it's, it's, it's bringing God in to every moment. And that's what I think Paul is getting at here. You say, well, well, what is, <laughs> what did they pray for? Well, let's look at this. Verse nine, uh, look, look back at verse nine. What did he pray for? Yeah. Yeah, 
when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, what did he say? Pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. See, there it is. Now, now, can we just confess that um, we, we are, well, I won't say we, I'll, I'll say me, okay? A lot of us are spiritual kindergartners when it comes to prayer. I mean, I mean, our prayers often don't rise above rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Right? Thank you, Lord, for the food. Thank you for the day. Bless this person. And you know what? Those are good things to do. We ought to pray for our food. We ought to be thankful for basic things, right? Uh, but, but can I, can I, can I let this text, can we let this text raise the bar and sharpen our focus in terms of what we ought to be praying? Right? So, so dads, uh, when, when you do what a lot of us do, right, you, you're going to go to lunch this afternoon with your family or maybe this evening or this week, you're going to sit down with your family and before you eat, you're going to pray. How do we pray? We say, Lord, will you fill our family with a clear and compelling knowledge of your will? Because it's our joy to walk in your ways. You see that? You know, thanks for the lasagna. That, that, you know, put that in too, right? But but there's this there's this focus that he said that we ought to be praying to know the will of God. How are we going to know the will of God when we're filled with the knowledge of what He's like and what He wants us to do? That that's the essence of what He's focusing on here, and I think it's very similar to what Jesus uh, calls the disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six. So what did He pray for? Look at this. Verse 9, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You want to put that at the top of your prayer list? Lord, I want to know your will. And, and, you, and you know this, that that's tricky sometimes, right? You say, well, how do we know the will of God? Well, it's right here. So you ready for this? It's a setup. <laughs> It's a setup that God wants us to pray for a knowledge of his will. Okay, I'm ready, Lord. Waiting for your will, Lord. But it's a setup because this is where you access his will. So you're praying to know his will, but that's designed to motivate you then to go to the document that reveals his will, right? And prayer and and Scripture reading are reciprocal. They, they feed one another, don't they? And that's by God's incredible engineering design. He wants prayer to feed the Word of God in, in reading, and He wants your reading of the Word of God to, re, to feed prayer. Because sometimes you read things in the Bible, you go, I have, no, I have no idea what I just read. I need your help, Lord, right? And, and it feeds one another. And, and of course, you guys know this. Uh, your parents know this. Uh, you guys trying to navigate through uh, uh, difficult family situations, you know this, that, that sometimes we know the will of God, right? We, we know God, de- uh, God desires for me to share the gospel with my unsafe family. Okay, We all know that. How on earth do you do that? Do you call them up? Do you write a letter? Every Thanksgiving, do you pull them aside? Do, do you... 
do you go visit them six times a year? Do you, do you give them space? Do you, do you ask questions? Do you send them pamphlets? What do you do, right? And, and that drives us back to what? Prayer. Some of you went with, went, went, blah, 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 went with us through James. If any of you lacks wisdom, what's wisdom? Wisdom is the knowledge to know how to take the word of God and apply it to your life. That's wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, how do I evangelize my unsaved adult daughter or whatever it is, right? What do you do? You ask God. And what does James say? God does if you'll ask him in faith. He gives you wisdom. So, so this, this is what we ought to be spending a lot of our time doing in prayer. Lord, what is your will? How do I apply what I know the Bible says to this situation? And the, the, the sort of wrestling of prayer, the inviting God in to a conversation as I move through life ought to be, Lord, how do I do this in this situation? You know, you're sitting in line at HEB. There's some lady that looks, you know, a little frustrated. Uh, I just made a word up. Flustered in, in front of you in line, right? And you're like, I should, I should encourage her. How do I do that? Lord, I need your help. I'm going to open my mouth here and I don't want to blow it. Um, uh, help me to just be able to say something that's, that's encouraging and is a blessing to this dear lady that looks like she's having a hard day. See? You invite God in and then you do it. And that, that's what he's getting at here, that we're praying constantly and we're praying for the will of God, for the knowledge and the wisdom to know how to do that. Now, what did they hope this knowledge would accomplish? Let's go, let's go to the next step. Okay, we're, we're, we're praying, Paul and Timothy say, we're praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you say, okay, so to what end? Why would we want to know the will of God? What do you think? So that we will, we'll walk in it, we'll do it. We don't pray for knowledge so that we can win Bible jeopardy. We, we pray for knowledge so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you see that little phrase there? It's in verse 10. Do you see that little phrase, so that? You see the so that? The so that is, is communicating to us this is the goal of what we're trying to do. This is the purpose. Um, uh, it's a, it's a henna purpose clause for you Greek scholars out there. That, that's what it's designed to do. It's telling you the purpose of why would I want to know the will of God to, to what goal. And so let me just give you some ideas here. Look what he says. He, he gives a list. Why would we want to know the will of God? Why are we praying so that we would know the will of God in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Remember, walk is, is a common Christian metaphor for how you live, right? So that you'll live in a way that is worthy of the gospel, that is worthy of, of our faith. Uh, we, we don't pray and study and, and, and whatnot so that we just go, oh, okay. We, we do it with the goal of application. So, so, so application is always the purpose of education in the Christian life, right? Application is always the purpose of education. And if you want one more, it's education that leads to application that produces transformation. There you go. There's three. Education, application, transformation. It's to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, right? And, and along with that, the goal is to please God. Secondly, to please God in all respects. Now, now I, need, I need to footnote this because this will get you into trouble. 
There is a way to pursue pleasing God that is satanic. And there is a way of pleasing God that is an expression of godly faith. Okay? So you say, what's the satanic version of pleasing God? The the satanic version of pleasing God goes like this. If you do enough good things, God will notice you. He'll be happy with you. You'll earn his favor. You might even earn your way into his family. Right? There is a way that seeks, there is a way of going out pleasing God that is all about impressing God or attracting his attention or gaining something from God. Right? This is, this is like that kid that broke, that grows up in that broken home and his dad's disconnected. His dad is, is off, always doing stuff. When he's around, he's harsh. He's short with his kids. And that little guy grows up and he's trying everything he can do to please his dad. But it's all about trying to earn love or earn favor, right? And, and you know what? Applied to God or to parenting for that matter, that's satanic. That's a works-based Righteousness. So that's not what Paul's talking about here. Now flip it around. Let's, let's say you've got a wonderful home and a dad that loves his kids and spends time with his kids and is out playing football in the yard with his kids and, 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 and listening and laughing and wrestling with his boys, right? And, and, and there's a bond of love and security that happens there. And that little boy, his greatest desire is to please his dad. Not because he's trying to earn love, but because he loves his dad so much, right? See, that's, that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's not, I'm going to go please God because I'm trying to get something from him or earn something from him. It's, I'm going to go please God because my greatest desire is to honor my father because I love him so much. That's the pleasing God that's being talked about here. Okay, so we, we pray to know wisdom and knowledge for the will of God. Why? So we'll walk in a worthy manner. So we'll please God in all respects. Here's that little phrase again. We saw it previously in the chapter. To bear fruit, where? In every good work. Again, what does that assume? It assumes that our faith is producing fruit, that there, there are, there are spiritual results coming from our efforts at doing good in the world. That's a good thing to pray for, that um, as as we would love God and love neighbor, as we'd evangelize people, as we try to be a a gospel witness in our family, we pray to be effective for those things. And we need to know the will of God in order to do that. Fourthly, to be strengthened. Look at this. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God do you have increasing in the knowledge of God in your notes? No? Where is that? Oh, there it is. I've got them reversed. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, okay, so back to the text here. Uh, where are we? Verse uh, 10, okay? To bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, and then strength with all power. So I reversed the order. So let's do increasing in knowledge first, okay? Um, as we pray, as we pray for the will of God, as we bear good fruit, we continue to pray that we will grow in that same wisdom and that same knowledge to know, uh, to, to know Him more and to increase in what we know. You, you know what that means? We never plateau as Christians, do we? 
you know, if Callum goes out and earns a, a doctorate of theology degree, that probably means he, he knows his stuff. He's worked hard, right? But that doesn't mean uh, there isn't more to know. Right? Some of you, some of you have been Christians for decades. You've been to more Bible studies and sermons and podcasts and you read books and 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 when and with some of you that have that have been Christians for decades, would you just say, you know what, there's still some things I need to learn? Would you raise your hand and say, there's still some things I need to learn? So that's what he's saying here. You never stop learning. You keep praying more and more for that knowledge. And here it is, verse 11, and to be strengthened with all power. Now that you, we need this, right? Because look at look at our list. God wants me to pray, to know his will, to have knowledge and wisdom. Why? Because I because he wants me to walk worthy, because he wants to he wants me to please him in all respects. He wants me to bear fruit in every good work that I do. He wants me to constantly increase in the knowledge of God. I look at that and I'm inclined to go. That's a lot of work. <laughs> That's a little bit overwhelming. And, and if some of you have tried this, you go, it sounds good. Then you go try it. You go, man, this, this is hard. And I blow it and I fail. And, and when we, then we get discouraged and we go, man, I'm praying and I'm not doing so well. And that's why you need this next part. We pray to know the will of God. And that does what? It strengthens us for the work. It strengthens us to do what God asks us to do. Listen, God will never ask you to do something that he has not always given you both the wisdom and power to do. I'll say that again. God will never ask you to do something that he has not also given you both the wisdom and the power you need to do it. Now that power is not some you know uh, spiritual lipo battery in your soul. No, no, no. That the power source is what? Look back at the text. Strengthen with all power according to His glorious electrical system, is what it says, right? According to His glorious might or strength or source of power. See, see, Christians aren't independent battery Christians. They're extension cord Christians that are connected to the power source. That was kind of cheesy, wasn't it? I'm sorry. But that, that's really the, the idea here. We, we stay connected to the source. And sometimes we grow weary because we're, we're not going back to the source, right? And he says here, um, to what end so that we attain all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to the share in the saints of light. As we do this, we grow in steadfastness and patience, persistence. We, we press on, right? And we're patient knowing that these things take time. And the end of it all is that we joyfully, joyously give thanks to the Father. And even on our hard days, even on the days we don't feel like we're doing so well with this, why can we be joyful and thankful to the Father? Because it says here, He has already qualified us. It's done, right? It's complete. He's already qualified us to share with, in the inheritance of the saints in light. We need to change our prayers, don't we? We need an adjustment here to persist, to pray, uh, purposefully and intentionally, and, and I think that Paul's prayer is, is a great model of, of how we ought to pray. So.
Well, we'll, we'll come back to that next week, but let's, let's do that and pray right now. Uh, Father, we pray with Paul that you would strengthen us to, to know your will in all wisdom and knowledge because we do want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We do want to please you in all respects. We do want to bear fruit in every good work. We do want to increase in the knowledge of God. Uh, we do want to be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. Uh, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience as we joyfully would give thanks to the Father, not because we're perfect, not because our performance is always great, but because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. What an what a incredible reality about who you've made us to be. Uh, Father, I pray that we would take what we've learned and we would make adjustments to our prayer life this week and you would give us strength and wisdom to persist and in purposeful uh, times of prayer uh, for your glory. Lord, make us to depend on you and to invite you into every moment of our day. Teach us how to do that and give us grace that we might make some efforts in the right direction this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen.